Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Not Bobcast. Not Bobcast. So if this is not Bobcast, what is it? This is Once for All Delivered. Should I use a radio voice? This is Once for All Delivered. This is Once for All Delivered. You should be doing all the intros, not me. This is the rotting corpse of Bobcast. <laughs> no, it's like Walt Disney. It is being placed in a freezer and preserved for another time. We finally thought it out and then changed its name. <laughs> <laughs> this is Disney cast. This is once for all delivered. I suppose we owe several explanations as to why this is once for all delivered and not Bobcast. Uh, we'll get to all that in a moment. I suppose to introduce ourselves, I am Andrew Smith. And I'm Caleb Castro. Uh, Andrew, where are you from? What do you do? For those who have joined us from Bobcast, they might remember me, remember us, uh, because we have been and hosted Bobcast for a couple of years prior to this, uh, but we're back with something different. Myself and my family are uh, just about uh, in a few weeks here heading out to Northwest Iowa uh, to do a something of a long-term supply and internship uh, at Rock Valley United Reformed Church until there's uh, somewhere around April uh, where I will take my candidacy exam to then finally, uh, Lord willing, be able to be called as a minister uh, in the United Reformed Churches. So I haven't betrayed uh, the URC, only Andrew has, um, you know. Correct. Whatever. We're going back to the old days where we had Mark and Mark was our OPC guy, except we don't have Mark. We just have me and trying to become OPC on the fly at a late stage. For those who are uh, perhaps new to uh, listening to us now, or you may have uh, understood now we've referenced Bobcast. Uh, originally, we had uh, started a podcast centered around uh, examining uh, the theology and in its application of a Dutch Reformed theologian uh, named Herman Bovink. Now, this this podcast we had done for, uh, as Andrew mentioned, some uh, two years or so, and. Uh, while we still have enjoyed doing it over time uh, and really from the original intention, we had wanted to broaden out to other uh, areas and subjects, you know, talking about one Dutch reformed theologian from the 19th century is uh, you could say something like a, a niche, a niche topic, a Nietzsche topic, Nietzsche, not Nietzsche, Nietzsche. <laughs> it's, it's something of a, something of uh, not everyone's going to be interested in. Uh, we are, that's what we like, but, uh, we have always really wanted to broaden out for other uh, listeners to be able to come in and be edified in different ways. Uh, so here with uh, Once for All Delivered, uh, Bobcast had been rebranded. Bobcast will continue, but it is going to continue on as something of a segment, uh, just, just one uh, occasional series within 
the umbrella of Once for All Delivered. Uh, so we'll still look at wonderful works of God here and there and talk some bobbing. But uh, really, we want to be able to talk about the scriptures um, in, in various passages. We want to be able to talk about uh, cultural issues and how this relates to Christianity. This is also going to help us, I think, get more regular content out at this point. We're both through seminary, uh, serving in ministry roles in the church. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to carve out special time to do extra work in Bovink with that kind of life. So by broadening out, we can kind of... Uh, draw from broader sources, broader work that we've done and are doing. And also, I think, make some more uh, relevant, practical application to our times. Now, this is not to say that we now don't like Bob Inc. or won't use Bob Inc. In fact, for this new series, we're going to be beginning here on the Christian and culture. I've already got three different Bob Inc. sources teed up that uh, I'm going to use in this. Um, but it's just we're going to be looking not just at Bob Inc., but kind of the whole bigger picture of things. And, of course, grounded in scripture and confessional reformed theology and applying that to uh, the day and time in which we live. Well, so here uh, for Once for All Delivered, uh, we do hope also uh, while still maintaining uh, our reformed confessional positions, we do want to be able to talk uh, a little bit more broadly uh, for those from other Christian communions. Our first topic here that we really want to get to today, um, this is going to go into something of the general subject of the Christian in the culture. To kind of get to this big issue, this constant question of, of the relationship between uh, Christian and culture, there, there's, there's something of a, a more specific topic that has to be looked at um, that we're going to do here to kind of prepare us for uh, later on getting more into specific things like current issues. But to understand the relationship between the Christian and culture, we need to understand the relationship between the kingdom of God and this present evil age. Uh, we need to be able to understand grace and nature. What is the relationship? Where is there? Where are their distinctions? What do we do with this? Now, I suppose... Some of you might be asking, well, why go there? Why do this? You've been gone all this time and you come back and this is where you want to go. I think probably for a lot of you, you can you can kind of feel a lot of the pressure. There's been a lot of controversy in the church and online and in other places. I think the COVID pandemic, which in a lot of ways gave birth to this podcast, has revealed a lot of... I guess you could say cracks in the church and among Christians, a lot of divisions and a lot of uh, confusion about how do we as Christians relate to culture. And there's been other issues, too. Um, there's been issues of the rise of critical race theory, uh, Black Lives Matter, all the various political and social issues that are going on and pressing in America. And it seems like in a lot of ways there has been a, on one hand, a lack of engagement and leadership by uh, Christian leaders and churches on these issues. On the flip side, uh, particularly in our reform camp, there's a tendency to oversimplify and press people into false dichotomies. So like if you were looking at who the real players are now in this discussion, you've probably got in one camp the theonomic reconstructionist type camp. 
Uh, they're post-millennial. They want to essentially return to a mosaic theocracy of some sort. And we'll get more detailed on these discussions later. And then on the flip side, you have uh, what might be called a, a two kingdoms camp, although we have to make distinctions even among various kinds of two kingdoms, where essentially the church has no business you know, doing anything like that. And the church's role in cultural engagement is relatively limited. And so at the risk of uh, sounding like Tim Keller or something, uh, we're kind of here to propose a third way. And it's not just something we hatched and came up with. This is something that's grounded in the tradition. It's grounded in good theology. And we're going to argue grounded in scripture. Um, the way of a more classical neo-Calvinism distinguished from other kinds, which we'll again get into as we go along, you know, put forth by theologians such as Bob Inc. and Abraham Kuyper and others that I think gives us a lot of useful tools and guidance to use in our day. And so really, in this way, if, if we're saying that it also is grounded in uh, confession and scripture, this position that we're going to be looking to explore. Really, this is another way of saying these issues are, are, are nothing new. Um, there's always uh, there's always really been a, 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 a this this difficulty of how does uh, the believer, how do the people of God relate to the world around them? Um, in even then, it, it's a bigger it's a bigger question of even for the unbeliever, who is man? What what what, what is my place in this world? Uh, what is it to be man? These are these are very deep, very very uh, uh, enormous questions that continue on throughout time, and that everyone has to ask themselves. In each Christian, in each age, what is this faith, uh, and how is it to be lived out in this day and age? And so, with that, we're we're looking to introduce some uh, theological terms. You're hearing things like uh, theonomic reconstruction, and 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 so on, and so forth. Two kingdoms. Another way to put this is. Some people want to entirely, uh, they think that Christianity has absolutely nothing to do with the world and want, and say that the, the world's a sinking ship. Uh, we need to abandon it, jump off, get into the, the lifeboats. Uh, you know, others say that the Old Testament laws, uh, laws of God have given us everything um, for a government system, and we need to apply those to uh, our own governments in our own day and age. You know, and, and uh, still more, say that the well, we really need to explore this being in the world, but not of it. And how do we live those, that day-to-day -day life in influencing others, in exercising our, our faith in real practical ways uh, in, in order to witness and to evangelize? And still others would say, uh, we need to learn the language and the interests, uh, the, the sentiments of culture, uh, and we need to be relevant to culture and, and think very carefully in the way that we speak and, and try to be winsome. So again, these are familiar things. Uh, we just want to cast this, this larger uh, context for how to think about it. Yeah, although you triggered me there using that word winsome. Because it's kind of exactly a, kind of a word that's been uh, hacked to uselessness by a lot of the big evangelical establishment, but this is not the time nor place to get into that. 
But anyway, so <laughs> in order to have this discussion, to look at these issues of the Christian and culture, we need to lay some some foundations. We need to lay some groundwork and so that we can start to understand why these various camps fall out the way that they do and understand the position we're going to argue why we think it is the proper biblical and confessional position. And so we need to talk about this relationship between nature and grace. So when we talk about nature and grace, put another way, we're essentially talking, uh, as Caleb has already hinted at, what is the relationship between this world, this created world, this created order and the things of God? Put, put another way, what exactly, well, you have to actually ask several questions. How were we created? What happened when man fell? Like what was lost or what changed? And then what does grace, what does the gospel, uh, what does the work of redemption do not only in the believer, but in the world. These are sort of the bigger picture issues that we have to deal with when we're dealing with nature and grace. Yeah, some are going to end up having this, this position of saying uh, reality is composed of two things. You know, we'll, we'll get specific with this, but but it's it's the question of this this reality. You know, we have to admit there there's there's more in this world around us than what we see, right? Uh, especially for, for, for us who have uh, been illuminated, especially by the Holy Spirit, for us who believe. So to help guide our discussion, there's a journal article uh, by Jan Wienhoff, uh, a Dutch theologian, was written in Dutch, has been translated into English by A.M. Walters, is available online for free, and we will link it in our show notes. Uh, called Nature and Grace and Bob Inc. So see, those of you who worried we were going to ditch Bob Inc. We're right away, right back into Bob Inc. Um, but he writes an article basically sketching uh, Bob Inc.'s interaction and concerns over grace versus nature. And in doing so, sort of provides us a lay of the land as far as varying issues of nature and grace. Um, essentially, the major positions, and there's, you know, distinctions and subcategories within these positions, but you have a Roman Catholic position, which could perhaps best be summarized as grace uh, perfects nature. That's how I've heard it commonly referred to. And then there is the view of the Lutherans, which this is perhaps a bit of a cynical assessment, but I think uh, rather fairly describes it as more or less grace ignores nature. Grace doesn't really deal with nature. And then you have the Anabaptist position, which is that grace destroys nature or grace completely like replaces nature. And then you have a missing one. Grace renews. The reformed position. Yeah, great news. <laughs> this is the position Bovink puts forth. He grounds it in Calvin in the early Reformation. It wasn't some 19th century novelty uh, that grace renews nature, that grace restores nature. And then there's some variant views, and we'll get into some of those variant views as we go along. But that's basically the big picture taxonomy of the differing views on nature and grace. That, that first view that... Uh, that uh, Andrew had mentioned, grace perfects nature. You understand basically from this Roman Catholic position that there's a deficiency of sorts in nature in which 
grace has to uh, make up for it. In this Roman Catholic position uh, boiled down, there is this created reality that's only half of the big picture. The things of grace, the supernatural things, are, are the other half. And when you take these two halves and put them together, you get the one whole that make up reality. This is kind of a, a general, really simple way of putting it. Uh, we, we, we might call it a dualism in a philosophical sense. But that there are two halves of reality to make up the whole. And it's that second half, the supernatural reality, that helps supply what is needed to, to make up what is lacking in the first reality, in the created order. In, in this regular uh, natural realm. And so this is where you get things like the Roman Catholic teaching of the donum superadditum, the Latin term for the superadded gift. So essentially that teaching is that God created man as natural, and for the Roman Catholics, natural is not necessarily evil, but part of being natural was concupiscence, which is essentially a predisposition and desire to sin, though they do not believe that it becomes sin until it is acted upon. And that is what belongs to nature. And then in grace, even before the fall, there is the donum superadditum, which basically gives man the ability to suppress and resist concupiscence. And so then for Roman Catholics in the fall, the donum superadditum is lost uh, concupiscence wins the day and then in redemption uh, in the gospel as they would portray it grace is essentially medicinal it's a substance that uh, sort of bit by bit piece by piece gives man back the donum superadditum gives him back supernatural graces he's given the ability to do meritorious works and draw from the treasury of merit from which he might eventually obtain heaven. Again, we are looking to, you know, putting this in a, in a compact, quick sense. So it's uh, so there, there are elements that we're having to, you know, keep keep at a very quick level here. In, the, in this of what, what Andrew is saying then is that this this world, this this created world, uh, all these things that are natural are are simply uh, lesser. And the things of the supernatural world are simply greater, better. It's like that supernatural world is having to give a booster shot to this world. I always think of like, you know, if you had ever uh, played or seen the Super Mario games where you have regular Mario who then eats uh, 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 eats the, uh, the power-up mushroom and he gets bigger and stronger, at least until he gets hit really hard by a Goomba or some kind of monster, you know, then he, he shrinks back down to his normal size and he has to run continuing along again until he gets that one up mushroom. That one up mushroom is, is basically like a, is like what Andrew is saying, the donum super additum, that super added gift from above, from that supernatural order, giving the things of this world that power up. And you see this work out in Roman Catholic theology and history. This is, this idea of this dualism between nature and grace, you can kind of see it laying the foundation for uh, the monastic and ascetic movements that arose in the Middle Ages. 
where you have, you know, guys going and living in monasteries and depriving themselves of worldly things because uh, gray stuff is better than nature stuff. And so let's get away from the worldly stuff and and towards more towards the gray stuff. And it is against this background that the Reformation reacts, which can take us into some of our other perspectives. So what we're going to get at then uh, in, in a moment uh, after talking about some of these other views is, is we see the pivotal problem is sin's effect on man. How has sin so much distorted man? And what has this done to the image of God? Those are elements such as the, the image of God that could be a little bit more peripheral to the discussion. But you, you kind of see basically how this ties in. If man is created uh, and he is created good, and something evil enters this world or is, is introduced into this world by, by man uh, listening to the serpent and sin. How then is man to be able to get back to the good grace of God? How is man able to get back to uh, reconciliation with God and to dwell with him in peace, right? There has to be something to provide that peace. And uh, Roman, in one way, then, is saying that there is this supernatural gift that is endowed to man in order to help make up what is lacking in him. In another position, you have what you can call the, the Lutheran position. That basically just doesn't want to really deal with the question of uh, how grace is involved with nature. Uh, as, as Andrew said, again, grace ignores nature. And again, another another perhaps image of thinking of that is, uh, I like to say, um, grace passes over nature is kind of more what's what's put forth in some manner. And again, yeah, I, I am drawing from that the image, of, if you will, of the Passover. Um, the things that aren't marked by the blood um, of of the lamb on the doorposts in, uh, in Egypt at the Passover, uh, anything not marked with that, that blood, any household that had not listened to the uh, the instructions that God gave to Moses, uh, and therefore then to the people, uh, would then have a tragedy in their household, if you will, a judgment in their household. The order of grace and the things of grace are passing over the things that uh, of this world that don't have the blood of Christ over them. Or put another way, grace basically in this view exclusively deals with uh, matters of eternal salvation it doesn't have any broader application for creation right so uh the things of of grace the things that are taught uh related to salvation and uh, of the cross really can't be understood by this by this world um and so, I mean, what, what benefit do they really have to derive from the application or, or exercise of how grace has impacted someone, right? Right. Right. So, and because of this, uh, while they might deny the dualism of Roman Catholicism on the surface, uh, drawing on this Wienhoff article from which he draws various quotes and such from Bavink, Lutherans essentially preserve and maintain a dualism. It's a little different in the details, but at the end of the day, you've got grace is where it's at. Uh, grace is what matters to the Christians and the world is lesser. The world is not relevant, essentially, 
to the Christian in a certain sense. There's a tension there, basically, right? Yeah. The things of, of the natural realm and this, this, the realm of grace in this world basically have their own uh, system, their own integrity, their own way of doing stuff. Um, and they exist alongside each other, but having basically like a like national borders set up, right? They're two hostile countries basically in, in a great tension, you know, with their national security on high alert and their their soldiers uh, at the edge of the uh, the borders. Um, they are in tension to each other. Yeah. And then people in this world born in sin belong to that country of uh, original nature, that country of, of the natural realm. But then they see that this other country is set up right across from them. And uh, a way has been made for them to enter in and become citizens of that country. Um, and so it, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you're, you're here in this natural world, uh, in this, this fallen world, this fallen reality. But uh, there is an alternate reality. There is an alternate realm or country, um, a different establishment that you can go into. And so it, in, in a way, it's almost kind of like grace almost kind of functions as an alternative form, uh, an alternate to this order that's basically destined to convert the other and take over its bounds in some ways. And this is also... I think how you get in Lutheranism, the emerging of a two kingdoms doctrine, it's some different emphases and nuances than reformed conceptions of the two kingdoms. But you do see with Luther, the kingdom on the right hand, the kingdom on the left hand, sort of pressing that that idea and that vision of nature and grace. Yeah, though there there are there are some significant differences because even then the, the Lutheran position will ultimately say that believers who cross over as diplomats or ambassadors or whatever, those who are Christians living in this world still do have some kind of function as individuals uh, in which they must show forth the ways of God. In a sense, I mean, those who are, are uh, reformed to kingdoms, they would also say individuals have to show a certain morality, that individuals can get involved in things in the world. So the next major school that emerged at the time of the Reformation, though with different emphases and priorities and ideas, is that of the Anabaptists. And... As I mentioned before, probably the best brief summary of this would be either that grace destroys nature or grace replaces nature. Because what you have in the Anabaptists is essentially removal of or removal from nature. This is where you see a sort of world flight Christianity. As the Wienhoff article points out, This is uh, we see this continued in things like pietism and methodism uh, these groups where they put a big emphasis on holiness and withdrawing from the world separating from worldliness and worldly things yeah and it's something of a i think it's one of a, the major defaults historically at least since the early 1800s maybe earlier of christianity in the united states it's tied very much, I think, with you see a lot of expressions of broad evangelicalism, non-denominationalism. Um, again, there, there are exceptions, but traditionally, especially those who come from maybe a, what you would call a dispensationalist background, in seeing uh, that there's a huge discontinuity. The, the bad kind of fundamentalism. 
Right. Um, I've said a quote already before that this this world is uh, like a sinking ship. I think that was uh, D.L. Moody that said that the world's a sinking ship and we have to get off of it. Well, that, that that's a really good representation of, you know, that the, the, the things of nature are, are so corrupted or so bad that this order, this age that, that was created is going to be abandoned, is going to be burned up with fire, and you need to get out on that lifeboat while you can. You need to get saved before before the ship sinks. Again, you might notice that there's a, there's a certain element of truth in each one of these positions we're saying. When you take their logic and really think how that works out, then we run into uh, certain issues. So like with this, if we say, well, this world was created good, and, and even though there's the fall, is there really nothing that is going to be left over that is going to be carried on in the new heavens and new earth? Or even then in another way, is the best option for a Christian to run out and uh, run away and escape into a commune or let's say a monastery or even just simply to just ignore uh, uh, unbelievers or whatever, to have no involvement? Is that the best way because we're so interested in self-preservation and not becoming tainted by sin that like, what do we do then with something like, say, like the Great Commission? How do we yeah. go out into the world and, uh, and evangelize? Are we looking to just bring people out and back into our, into our little communes or bubbles? Uh, what left is there of grace for this world? Right. Um, and how do we deal with issues like where the Bible talks about creation groaning and uh, waiting to be renewed or where we talk about Christ conquering enemies in this age? Um, it seems from the biblical evidence that Christ is not done with this world. This world isn't just a, the Titanic going down and we need to get off on the lifeboats whether they be our communes or our rapture bunkers or whatever, and hide there until Christ comes again. No, there's more to the story. And I think that is a good segue into the last major position before we maybe get into some variant positions and the position that we are advocating for. It's Bovink's position. Um, I think it's a fair representation of Calvin's position and the reform position as they uh, went back to scripture and worked these things out. And that is that grace renews or grace restores nature. That's kind of a first note on this. What has to be understood is basically then grace is not the missing part or the alternate for these things in this world. There is nature and grace. And we're going to get more specific into that here. But Grace isn't a missing part, and the, the major thing isn't a radical separation like what, what you're really hearing in each one of those positions we've said, between the, the grace perfects nature, grace ignores or passes over nature, or grace destroys nature because it's so opposed. Each one of those have dualistic elements to them. Each one of them are a hard line separation between this relation between nature and grace here though the real hard line distinction that has to be made is not properly nature and grace as a dualism but the creator creature distinction what's truly different radically separate is god and us 
it, that that's that is the real difference. It's from God that that grace comes, and grace has to be understood as a as as that unmerited gift of God that He works out for His purposes and for fellowship, but also then for renewal and restoration. One of the quotes that Wienhoff uses from Bob Inc., this is on page 18 of the article, quoting Bob Inc., so Christianity did not come in the world to condemn and put under the ban everything which existed beforehand and elsewhere, but quite the opposite, to purify from sin everything that was, and thus to cause it to answer again to its own nature and purpose. So, basically, grace... Um, as opposed to giving back super added gifts or passing over or replacing nature. Grace's purpose is to undo what the fall did. God created this world and God created man good. Man fell. The image of God was scarred and marred and damaged and, you know, sin entered the world, original sin, actual sin. But what grace does is it seeks to reconcile man and to reconcile all things to God. Now, we have to make some qualifications here. We have to uh, say, you know, there's things we're not saying. We're not advocating here for some kind of post-millennial triumphalism. Uh, I can tell you, as we're appealing often to Bob Inc. and Abraham Kuyper, they were amillennialists. While they believed in this project of renewal, they also believed in the antithesis, which is something that we'll get into in more detail, I'm sure, as we work through this series. But basically that um, while this renewal goes forth and while the gospel is effective and does work in the world, so too there is an increase of resistance. Um, there is ebb and flow. There is a eschatological discont. There is some continuity, but there is also discontinuity between this age and the age to come. We're not saying that we're going to conquer and save this world, but we are going to see the renewing effects of the gospel in this world, even as that resistance continues and grows. What this means in with all that is that think back to Adam. What does sin actually corrupt? What does sin actually do? Now, sin itself is not essential to nature, to this created order, to this world. It is not something that must always be there. It is not something that was to be there from the beginning. It is not a physical thing, even then, right? Sin is something that has come into the world as, as an intruder. And its effects are, are a tainting of man's ethic, of man's morals, of man's heart, of man's goodness, righteousness, however you want to put it. It's a tainting of man's righteousness and holiness and a dimming of the knowledge of man. So sin is a tainting of ethics and goodness. It is, in fact, parasitic, you could say, of, of goodness. What is done in the gospel in Jesus Christ is a a restoration or a renewing into the grace of God by the grace of God in Christ alone. Now, if there is a restoration, again, this this is an ethical restoration, a moral restoration, uh, restoration. 
the spiritual restoration. What grace is opposed to is not a physical thing. It is not opposed to the nature itself, but what has become an intruder to nature. It is opposed to sin. It is opposed to immorality, to ungodliness, unholiness, to an unethical existence. And so grace is, this is why we say then, restoring, repairing, renewing, purging, purifying what has come in as an intruder. This means that with man's fallen state, there is something of his original nature that is still preserved and that still continues to function. There is still some glimmers of goodness. There's still some glimmers of hope. It's not enough to save him. Not at all. Man can't do this himself. But there is still something there, if you will, that makes him act uh, at times, unsalvifically, in a good way. Grace must presuppose nature. Okay, You need uh, nature as a backdrop, if you will. There's a specific way that we are uh, going to need to take this. But uh, for now, that that's all the time that we have for this episode. We haven't thought up any kind of new outro or new goodbye. We can't say Tetzians anymore. Nope. Guess we can't. So if you have any ideas, you can uh, send us to that on social media. We're on all the major social media. Well, I can't say all because we don't do TikTok. Coming soon. Uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at OFAD Podcast. You can find us there. We have an email address, which I need to look up because I forgot what it was. Oh, it is also <laughs> OFAD Podcast at gmail.com for once for all delivered. So if you have any ideas for an outro, any suggestions, any questions, you know, recipes, anything of that sort. Uh, you can send those to us. We'd love to hear from you. But otherwise, we thank you for joining us for episode one of Once for All Delivered. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Oh, we definitely do. And I'm going to send in my own submission, uh, an email of a recommendation for an outro. I don't have anything specific, but whatever we do, it's going to involve auto-tune. <sighs> no? Okay. Well... I'd have to well, learn how to well, use maybe. it. <laughs> I think we definitely need more auto-tune in this podcast. Uh, so just at random times as we're talking. Or maybe we'll have a word of the day. <laughs> and we'll just... Uh, we'll come in all auto-tuned on that word of the day. Today's theological term of the day is... Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Well, and that's definitely all the time that we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. We hope you will join us again next time on Once For All Delivered.